Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a fiasco. <laughs> you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 84th episode of the JDO Show. I'm your host, J. David Osborne. And today on the show, we have David James Keaton and his sister, Erin Keaton, on to talk about movies. We talk Mother, It, and for about a good hour, we talk about Twin Peaks. It was a really, really fun discussion. Uh, Erin is definitely Dave's sister. They're very, very similar, which means that they're both pretty fucking hilarious and sharp and they both bring uh, different but equally funny takes on these films and TV shows. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I've got a big day tomorrow. i got to wake up early because I'm driving to Niagara Falls from Virginia here. And then from Niagara Falls, I'm going to hop over the border into Canada for BoucherCon. And I'll be there for a few days. But I still got motherfucking 100 pages of editing done today. So I'm on my shit. I'm fucking rocking and rolling feeling pretty good um you know just dealing better i think with stresses in general i think i'm more chill about the fact that um i'm going to be able to solve my problems i think when i was in portland i just had this kind of weird hopeless feeling that i was never going to get anywhere and i was just spinning my wheels spinning your wheels is probably the worst possible feeling so even though my goals and the things that i'm doing are still sort of far in the distance they seem attainable it seems like i can do what i do and not worry so much about how long it takes or how exactly i get there but that if i just keep plugging away i'll get somewhere so that's my inspirational message for the day folks and that is all i'll be saying right now please do enjoy this episode i had a lot of fun and i think that they did too episode 84 of the jdo show with david james keaton and aaron keaton what the near 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 <laughs> okay, so this is what awesome. a mess! What a mess! I can hear both you of you. Is it possible? Can you hear us? Are you guys still on Skype? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, I'm on Skype. Yeah, I uh, I basically I have a subscription uh, that so now so I can I can do all these calls, uh, which is actually pretty cool. Now I'm going to utilize it now that I have it. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. No. So, okay. So. I don't know if I've ever had two guests at the same time before. Um, so this is uh, this is the JDO show. Thank you very much, uh, Keaton's for for showing up. Um, <laughs> Dave's been on before. Aaron, will you uh, give a give a, just a brief introduction? Uh, yeah, I'm Dave's little sister, um, and I raised her. I, I raised her. And he pretty much raised me. Um, there's about a 13-year difference between us. Um, but, yeah, I live in California also. I live in the Bay Area. Um, I work at Berkeley in the Doe Library. Or in the library. I don't know if you should. <laughs> my actual... There are a lot of people who work here. Um, and I write and raw um and i'm working on a couple graphic novel type things cool um what brought you out to what yeah. brought you out to california um my brother tell us a bit about well tell no tell, well what about the santanta graphics or whatever the fuck it is oh um well i moved to the west coast because um i got an internship 
with Fantagraphics Books uh, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so I had done a study abroad trip to China. So I lived in China for four months. And then when I got back, I worked at Whole Foods. And then <laughs> didn't really want to keep doing that. And um, I got the internship at Fantagraphics. So I packed up my cat and we moved to Tacoma. And we lived in an airstream for a month and then uh, a normal place for about two years. Um, so, so I worked at Fanta for a year. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Fantagraphics is like that cool comic company where it's like alligators smoking yeah. weed, right? Stuff like that. Yeah. Yes, it is alligators smoking weed. If they publish, um, they're well known for publishing uh, art from. Oh, right. And Love and Rockets, uh, Daniel Clouds, Chris Bear, um, everybody, pretty much everybody good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does comics. Yeah, I love the, um, the Love and, and Rockets stuff is freaking awesome. I, uh, I'm, oh not, my God. I'm not sure which which brother I like better because there's the one dude does like the more surreal shit like there was one that i got that had like no dialogue on it and it was this blonde lady and like her head floated (laughs) off and she was in this weird noir (laughs) world but then there's also the uh is it is it palomar like the palomar books and those are super yeah 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 the the one who did the who did the run where uh one of the girls in it had like horns growing out of her head is that the yeah that's the weird i think yeah, it was I don't like know. Uh, it, I think it was an er, I think it was an early run. Yeah, I read it too. That's all. I just wanted to join in. Just... <laughs> hey guys, hey guys, hey! I don't know if you I guys forgot read. about this. I, I don't know if you, read. I don't know if you forgot, not, but uh, I'm smart. But, uh, Dave Dave Keaton's not, here too. I'm not Dave... dumb like they say. It's like so. So Aaron, tell tell me more about. And Dave's like uh, Dave Keaton is here uh, as as her brother. I can tell you that story. Um, talk, talk, talky, 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 talky. Well, uh, it's very nice to have you on. I'm very happy to have you both here. And uh, the reason why is because uh, Dave and I do this little thing, this little movie corner type uh, type episodes on the show. And um, for this particular episode. We're going to talk a little bit about Twin Peaks, which I'm informed that you're a fan of. Um, and yeah. we're going to have... Did you did you see it? Yeah. I did. Okay. And then you both saw Mother. I saw it yeah. twice. Together. She, oh. she came down Together. here to see it with me. She liked it so much. Okay. This is great because I have, seen, I have seen neither of those movies. And so this is normally how Movie Corner works, where I... Uh, I I don't watch movies very often, and so Dave will come on and like he explained Wonder Woman to me, and uh, I forget what the other one was, but like so basically, what's really interesting now is that uh, I've seen neither of these things, so I will decide based on your arguments whether or not the movie's good, not whether I'll go see it because I'm not, uh, but just whether the movie is in fact good. So, I, I I love this plan. I, I feel I like too. I can convince you. I can convince you uh, that Mother is... Uh, see, that's the thing. I'm divided. It's worth seeing, but I, I'm really angry at that movie. Okay, so do you want to oh, really? start up? Do you want to start off with Mother or do you want to start with It? I'll leave it up to you guys. Let's start with um, Mother because then let's see, if, see how far that takes us. Yeah, okay. we, haven't, we haven't talked about It, too. I mean, we saw Mother together, so like I think we have a good... 
idea of how the other person feels about it, but it, it'll be mother will be. Well, okay. I have. Well, I'm. Well, that's the thing about mother is I know we talked about it, we argued about it a bit, but I'm holding in my hands some new information. I've been looking at. Uh, I've been looking at interpretations of this movie, and I thought I didn't like it at first until I started to read the explanations of the movie, and. Uh, Oh boy! Now I really hate it because it's it's all this it's all this Bible shit, and I thought he got that out of his system with Noah, and what was the oh. other one? That was the fountain? Did he do the fountain? Yeah. So so all that stuff about you know how Ed Harris has a rib missing. Did you hear any of this stuff? Yeah. I is it did. so he can is it so he can suck his own dick like Adam and Eve? Well, we I should probably preface it by yeah. saying that I I sent. Osborne, uh, a series of Facebook messages where I just described the plot one night. I just totally okay. ruined the whole thing. So we should we should back up. I left out this whole sequence because I didn't think it was important. If, do you remember when I was telling you people just keep coming into the house mm. and she's like, what are you doing here? Get out. And she like represents yeah. Earth or whatever. Well, apparently this is the part I left out when I was telling Dave about it is uh, the, the initial family that shows up um, I don't even want to say it because it's so terrible. They represent Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel. And, um, and yes, that's to- that's, uh, that's one hundred percent my bad. Uh, I moved into a place, so I'm in this new house in El Paso, <laughs> and uh, the guy, the the landlord, he's a nice dude, uh, but he's like, "Hey, best part about this place: free internet." And we were like, okay, that's cool. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, it, the fact that it's free internet means that it occasionally just drops. So that's that's not um, that's not a Skype issue. So we don't have our hands don't have to start trembling. We don't have to start you know going into <laughs> convulsions and palpitations. That's if if it happens. Okay. God damn it! I'm just gonna keep going. So basically, uh, I'm, okay. kind, I'm kind of glad that happened though because Ken. Aaron, can you can you explain uh, what what Mother is about? Because I have the Dave version, and I just I would like for you to please summarize the plot. Well, be, before before I yeah. get the sideline, wait, be, 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 wait, wait, I'll I shut up. I was gonna... But how you're you're gonna talk? But real quick, did did you hear the the Bible shit? Yeah, I heard. Did you hear I, that I stuff? Heard, yeah, I heard Cain and Abel. Yeah, okay. Now now. Aaron. Okay, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna zip, I'm gonna zip my lip. Okay. Okay. So um leaving out any like allegory <laughs> and just saying mm-hmm. here's what happens in the movie mm-hmm. um jennifer lawrence and javier bardem move into a house they're recently married the house uh it appears burnt down at one point while javier bardem's family was living in it he lost everything and then found jennifer lawrence who is like a jack-of-all-trades and uh, a great interior artist, interior design artist, and she rebuilds the house, repaints it and everything, and styles it. And I didn't see any evidence. Can I, just, can I just jump in real quick? I didn't see any evidence of her, her brilliance. All she did was she painted a V on the wall, right? Uh, well, I think that that would have been a really long movie if they would have had her rebuild a house. <laughs> That's the movie they wants to see. It, it, well, I'm just, what I'm, phone, so. it just seems like she was, that kind of gives her too much credit because she was just like there to serve him, you know? 
I don't think she's oh, yeah. the artist in the scenario. I, you know? I think you should stop for a minute. Okay. So <laughs> she rebuilds this house, and then uh, allegedly, Dam is a shitty <laughs> She says that she does. She tells Michelle Pfeiffer how she fixed the roof of the house. Um, the stress. So anyway, Javier Bardem's a shitty poet that only wrote one poem, and uh, like he wrote a chat book and has like sixty copies of it in the house. And I shouldn't see that's me inferring. I shouldn't say he's a shitty poet, but we can only assume because of how he like needs his ass powdered the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, it was but a I, very I think moody, the- moody poem, whatever it was. Um, the movie clearly loves so, him, though. The, you know, ooh, the movie no, thinks he's a genius. Think the so movie thinks all. he's a genius. No, the movie represents Aaron no, Austin. Stop talking for a second. The movie, no. Here's my interpretation of the movie. If you leave out, like, any Adam and Eve stuff, if you leave out, like, any of the Mother Earth, it's about, like, it's about man babies. And, like, like, hear me out for a second, that this dude has written one small thing, his wife has rebuilt a house, and is, like, constantly working, she's constantly, like, making food, she makes children, she's painting shit, she's, like, always doing something creative, and also, like, catering to him, and he's always walking around, like, oh, I'm so smothered here, this sucks, and then... She, like, just keeps giving him shit, and he keeps being like, oh, but it sucks, and I like, I like these people that like my poetry. I want to go with them. I want to let them eat my baby. Like, I think that it's terrible, Wait, hold on. and pump, pump I think the that that's the point um, of the movie. <laughs> let's, 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 uh, pump, let's pump the brakes here. Um, so, so, so eating, eating a baby... Um, it is not. It's not a negative or a positive to me. Uh, it, it, well, let me, can I just say that the baby eating that we're like we're making it sound much a lot more fun than it is. Like, no, it's it, not fun. It's not fun. It's, and it's also not. It's not. Uh, it's not as edgy as they thought because stakes are removed by the time the baby is devoured. Mm-hmm. You don't believe anything that you're saying because you're fully in the land of metaphor. And there's, there's like, uh, a book-reading-turned-execution thing going on. People don't talk like people anymore. So you're like, oh, now we're in a music video. It, it very much feels well, like a music what, video. Remember what Amy said when we first got out of the movie? Amy said, this she movie said, is so simple, I don't know if I should be interpreting it. And I think... That it is, I think it's like, it's a lot like Rosemary's Baby or Boys from Brazil, where you're like, oh, could this thing happen? And then you're just like, huh, I guess that happened. And that's, I mean, yeah, but I think Rosemary's Baby is so much more successful. I mean, Rosemary's Baby, there's a lot of similar vibes to it, but but that movie is 100%. But there's no, there's no like, heavy-handed metaphor going on there it's like that's i know pulp, but i don't you know, think you have to i don't think you have to watch mother and think that there's a heavy-handed metaphor i think not, you just watch it and you're like oh this is quite a, a thing that's going on you know you'll be better off you might enjoy it a bit i more guess i guess try to get something but, extra out of it 
But if somebody just runs around and just keeps, if somebody just keeps saying like, "Who are you? Get out of my house!" for you know about an hour, and they keep bringing in more and more creative um, things to annoy her, it's like you get the point, and then the point keeps being made. And even though it looks interesting, I don't. I think it's a good-looking movie. I just there's no stakes to it because you don't believe a baby really died, and that's so when people come out of there. People on the internet are like, oh, they hate baby, and they're they're like, this is the most controversial movie of the year. It's like it's controversial because people come out of that and they're making raspberries. Like, <laughs> it's not because they came out and said, I can't believe they hate a baby. Nobody feels that baby moment. I know you said you screamed when it happened, but um, well, I, scre- be- I didn't scream when they ate. I didn't scream when they ate the baby. I screamed when its neck broke because they're really. There are really good sound effects in this movie. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was jarring. It was jarring. It's this. Uh, uh, we yeah. should probably describe describe that scene to him. It's like a little they do a like, body surfing move with the baby, like out and moving the baby along. Well, she falls. And, uh, she falls asleep, and Javier Bar- Javier Bardem and her are are just right after she has the baby. He wants to show the baby to this crowd outside the door like this crowd of maniacs and the top the top right telling him the sure and she keeps telling him like go tell them to go away and he goes and he's like it's a, I actually think this part's really funny but I didn't want to encourage the girl next to us to laugh so I kept it in but um he goes out and he gets a basket of fruit and drinks it and he's like they brought us gifts and she's like make them go away and so he goes back out and he gets this sweater and he's like they gave me one of my own sweaters <laughs> and she's like what the fuck are you doing make him go away and then uh they just I, stare at each other for uh until daybreak and then she falls asleep he takes the baby and crowds her but until it's dead I, I just want to say that i end, i ended up in a similar place when you said it's about man babies i kind of i agree yeah. with you i just think that i just think it's like unintentional. I think that your interpretation is dead on because Aronofsky is the man baby in question who is talking about how his artistic uh, process destroys what he loves kind of deal. Like, like and that's, that's, really and that's pretty insufferable. <laughs> it's pretty insufferable, you know? I mean, you know, that is really funny because when I, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, finally, he did the women a solid and like talked about how rough it is to like... <laughs> He, and he did. He did by being, by being so pedantic like, and obvious. He did. He did them a favor. He like he tricked me. But he's like, oh look at look at Jennifer Lawrence mixing like taking real minerals and mixing her own paint and then, you know, making paint and smearing it on the wall. And I was like, yeah, women do that shit all the time. Like we're making art all the time. This guy just wrote a stupid book. But I didn't realize that he was saying like, can't you see how hard it is? For dudes. Well, I, well, I think it's it's one of those things where <sighs> you get these you get these directors who um, they want to, or and writers too. And Updike took, <laughs> Updike took a lot of this abuse. Is where they want to they want to confess to how they're they have this sort of inherent misogyny and how they treat women in their works, and so they confess. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, they indulge in it. You know what I mean? Like. Just like Witches of Eastwick fairly gets this criticism that it's confessing that it's kind of his, you know, um, 
his penance for all the misogyny in the rabbit books. And but it, it, even though he's doing that, he's also indulging in it. Like you read it and you think, okay, you, I I see what you're doing, but you're also still doing the same thing in, in just a in sort of a I don't know what I'm saying. I, cause I it's love basically it. like a guy. It's like a guy saying. It's basically a guy saying like. Uh, uh, oh, I'm so bad. I just, I just, I'm so misogynistic. It's so terrible. Oh. Kind of. A, a good yeah. example of it, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, the Nick Nolte um, short in um, New York Stories. You ever see that? A series of short films. Scorsese does one. Woody Allen does one. Mm-hmm. I remember and, it, but uh, I, I don't remember that. Well, Nick Nolte is a painter, and he essentially, it's very similar. He has a really young girlfriend, and he just sort of devours everything about her as he's creating, and he's suffering because he can't get this big painting done. And then there's a big breakthrough, like he, and he beats up her ex, and he's, he's just sort of being a Nick Nolte monster. And then he creates this big painting, and she finally gets sick of him and can't be with him anymore. And then he sees another young girl at the um, exhibition and it's like it's the same fucking thing you're like you're watching and you're saying Nick Nolte you're such a monster but it's like Scorsese is, is still having it looks great he's still playing the music and the and you want him to create that painting you don't really care that even if the message is you know he's a piece of shit he's still the protagonist what's so weird about Mother he, is that yeah. you don't know you don't know that dude's the protagonist until the last seconds of the movie you think that she's the reason you're watching it but arguably he's the reason you're there okay so what happens at the very end what what happens at the very end oh Um, i I can't even say it out loud (laughs) (laughs) go for it go for it so okay so at the very end um she is very upset because uh all of her husband's fans ate her baby Right. And so she is trying to leave the house or, you know, like get away from him and get away from them or kill them. And they're, oh, they all, they all kick the shit What are you doing here? Who are you? Get out of here. Yeah. And then there's like, there's a very... What's great about this three-way phone like, call, the way we're talking over each other, is he gets a really good representation of what that movie is like. Like the way we're all talking over each other. It's that's a lot like, like the no movie. Girls. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> um, so they uh, they beat her up, and uh, then Javier Bardem comes and he pulls her up and he's like, "We have to forgive them." And she's like, "No, I'm not going to do that." She runs down to the basement. She has a lighter that belonged to Ed Harris. There's an oil tank, right? An oil tank in the basement. Yeah, I, it's weirdly. Yeah, the place is weirdly combustible. <laughs> Yes. So she goes down to the basement, takes a wrench, busts a hole in the oil tank, lights it on fire, and then Javier Rodin picks her up, carries her through the ashes. She is unscathed. She is a burn victim. And he puts her down, and then he's like, you still love me, right? And she's like, yeah. And then he uh, puts his hands into her chest, like... He's gonna stuff a chicken. It's very old num Yeah. And then he pulls out this ash covered her heart. He pulls out her heart. 
and it's covered in ash, and he breaks the ash off, and it's uh, something. It's a mineral, or a, it's some sort of a. It's like a precious, a, precious a stone. It's like a diamond. It's a precious, yeah, yeah. It's a precious stone with it's precious. Um, fire veins, <laughs> with veins made of fire and, and carbon bubbles, and um, he puts it. It's in like a bad. It's a bad. A it's a bad album cover, basically. It'd be a very bad Pretty album much. cover. Yeah, and then he uh, puts it on a little stand in his uh, his armoire, his glass armoire, and then. Uh, the whole house turns pretty again, and it all starts from the beginning. And someone who has the same hair as Jennifer Lawrence wakes up and says, baby, just like Jennifer Lawrence does at the beginning. Hmm. And that's the end. You know what would be really so cool is... Well, basically, I just I just want to throw this out here. So basically, uh, if, if it was me, right, if I was making this movie and I wanted to set the mm-hmm. house on fire, um, what I would do would be, I would have all of his <laughs> fans be like be like sports fans, and they they would all wear those big foam fingers, you know, and be like, ooh, he's the number one poet. And so he would collect all these number one, <laughs> these number one hands, and those things are combustible as fuck. So basically, she would go down there and she'd light the foam hands on fire, and and then he would come down and he'd be like my and then he would reach into her chest and yep you guessed it pull out a foam number one <laughs> and then and then the movie would end with her dead and him very sadly holding the foam number one hand see that's how they should have done it i thought you I were going to say would love, when you said sports when you said sports fans i thought you were going to say she would go down to the basement and fill up a gate parade like a big Gatorade chug of oil and then pour it over his head and just set him on fire. That would be tight too. Yeah. Can we Yeah, but can you we can talk real quick about Can we can we talk real quick about the bad luck I have seeing movies with my sister? Cuz I I was starting to think <laughs> about this. The previous yeah. we already we already did a podcast uh me and Dave where I talked about going to see Black Swan. Remember, the guy was cracking beers in the aisle. <laughs> and every yeah, time there was I something, wasn't there, every time there was, oh, you weren't that. That was oh, was that uh, Amy's sister was there? Yeah, just but you were you were at the you were at the Fight Club incident. Yes, I was. I was the, the catalyst for the Fight Club incident. You should. Which did you talk about that? No, you should tell you should tell Osborne what happened when we tried to go see Fight Club. Okay. Well, I'll tell part of it, and then you have to tell your interaction with the guy because. No, because I sound like an, I sound like a real goon when I talk about that part. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I don't remember. I don't remember how old I was or we were, but um, I think when did Fight Club come out? Ninety. Nineteen ninety nine. Nine. 99 or 2000, right? Yeah. So, um... So, just to to paint the picture, imagine, dude... Let me just tell him real quick. Imagine I'm excited enough that I want my family to go see Fight Club. That's all (laughs) (laughs) So, imagine that. Like, Um, I've seen it. I've seen it, and I'm like, I gotta call my brother, my dad, and my sister. I don't know where my mom was at the time. (laughs) 
And I'm like, Do we got, and they got to see it because like it speaks to me. Like that's what an idiot I was. At that moment. I, well, I, I, did, I did that too, but I was also 13. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was also. I was. I was 15. Yeah. Um, I had no excuse. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was a pretty exciting movie at that time. I never faulted you for being excited about it. Um, so anyway. Uh, Dave and Jean, my brothers, uh, go to the movie together, and then my dad, our dad, and I go to the movie together. I'm 15, and I live with them, and we're running late, um, which has traditionally been pinned on me, but it's actually uh, a whole family thing. Uh, <laughs> so we <laughs> we show we show up late to the movie, and Dave and Jean have grabbed seats. And they're in an aisle where there are multiple seats, but there's a guy sitting. And this is where I'm fuzzy because you were interacting with this gentleman the whole time. But there's a space, there's an empty seat, and then this guy, and then Gene and Dave. And so they politely ask him if he'll move down. And they say, uh, our dad and our sister are coming. We'd like to sit with them. They're running late. And what did he say, Dave? He says, no way. He gets to movies on time. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, it looks like we got a fucking hardcore badass here, man. Hey, listen, listen. If, you're, if, you're, if your ass isn't in the seat by the time the Coca-Cola goes down the roller coaster, you are shit out of luck, my friend. <laughs> what sucks is like it, he had he had two seats to his left. Then there's him, and then there's I think one seat between him and my brother, and then there's me. Mm-hmm. So all he had to do was move one over, and he would still have his yeah. view. But he decided he decided he was going to take his stand that day. That was the day he wasn't going to move anymore. <laughs> so anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so you start fucking with him, and I think. Did Gene mess with him too, or were you just leaning over Gene and talking to the guy the whole movie? Well, my, he was collateral damage because I had to ruin the movie. I wanted the guy to. I wanted to ruin the movie as best I could, and I kept threatening him, and that wasn't working. So <laughs> he 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 just got this sort of stone face. By this time, didn't you guys sit behind us? Yeah. You and yeah, we weren't far away. So you, so you guys were behind us, and, uh, and you know, usually when you have an interaction like that, you don't you don't get time to spend with the person. Like imagine a road rage incident; it's mm. over. Right. You're mad. <laughs> but, it's like where you both situation. turn in. You both turn into the Taco Bell, and it's like, oh shit, this is gonna be awkward. <laughs> exactly. We're both like waiting in line to get your <laughs> like just standing there. <laughs> it's like. Did that's you, did exactly, you just, that's hey, exactly hey, what it felt like. So it was, did a, you, did you it was a very unique a, opportunity. Did you call me a bitch fucker? Like, I'm, I'm really confused. Like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the quesadilla. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, okay, so go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it was. I had, you know, I had an hour and a half to, like, think of things to say to him. And I kind of <laughs> ran the gamut of everything I could think of. First, it was just, like, I can't believe you're not fucking moving down, like, you're not going to let me sit with them just because you're not moving down? And he's like, yep. He, he eventually just turned to like one word responses and a thumbs up because he got so sick of me. Oh and then this, this happens. This has happened to me so many times in my life. Like 
people around get sick of the situation, but they get mad at me, even though I'm not the one who caused the problem. Like they, they're just like, I wish he would shut the fuck up, but like, they don't understand that I'm trying to fix the problem. Does that make sense? <laughs> right. <laughs> so about, uh, I don't remember when this happens in fight club. I mean, it's the, it's the whole, it's the whole point. It's the climax. But, um, it had to have been shortly before it happened. You ruined the movie for him. <laughs> and for Gene. <laughs> you fucking dude. It's friendly fire, bro. Like you, you just tossed the grenade <laughs> in and walked away. <laughs> think about that's the worst case. That's the worst thing I could think of. You know what I mean? Like I went through threats. I went through all that shit. And then I thought, what's the worst thing that I could do? And that's ruin the movie. So, and my brother had never seen it. You know, I talked his ass into going to see a movie. And if, if you knew my, our brother, he doesn't go see movies. He doesn't care about media in any way. Right. So this was a big deal. So I lean over him and I'm like, dude, I'm going to ruin the movie. That dude and that dude, they're the same dude. And my brother was like, what the fuck did you just, oh. So he, he's like annoyed that I ruined the movie. And this guy... Just kind of, just kind of stone faced, absorbs this information, and then <laughs> comes the, then comes the moment when it, it sort of proved that it was true. I forget what happens in the movie. Like he disappears while he's talking. To, I forget. But there's a moment where you realize that that, that is the twist. Yeah. And uh, the guy got up and left. And this is the most embarrassing thing: is he actually get, got the last word. He gets up to leave, and he has to like squeeze by. And at the time, I'm like, oh, shit, he's going he's gonna to attack me, you know? And uh, he leans down and he goes, hey, save my seat. <laughs> he That's leaves. kind of badass. God bless. He goes, save my seat. Because he's had, think about it, he's had two hours to think of something clever to say, and that's what he had. So he says, save my seat. And then he leaves, and I'm thinking, motherfucker. And then I sit there stewing about it, and the credits roll, and he's gone. He never came back. And my brother is like, he kind of, he kind of got the last word, bro. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, hilarious. Anyway, and so I talked to my dad later, and he said he was sitting behind us, and everybody was just furious that I wouldn't stop talking to this guy. I just yeah. kept leaning over my brother and, and saying shit, which is very similar to when I used to live in Bowling Green, and I lived up next to an actual mental patient. Um, I didn't realize he was a mental patient until I took his mail and saw that he was getting checks from the mommy mental health center. Mm-hmm. And this guy used to scream at me through the walls. I remember this. And guy. I finally got, I told you about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to, but it was a similar situation where I, I finally had enough. So I was pounding on his door, like telling him to quit threatening me through the walls. And all my neighbors turned me in and yeah. said that I was, I was harassing this poor guy. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's not even, that's not really the same situation. <laughs> yeah, that's... It, does, it feels like the same situation. I understand. I get the sentiment. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think what you could have done. I mean, I guess, I guess you could have just let it go. Um, yeah. I think I know you too well by now to know that that's, that's, you, you have a lot of virtues, Dave, and I like you a lot. We're, we're really close pals. Um, but letting things go is just not on that list. No. 
that, hey. That's part of our. That's our white trash family. That's I can't shake. That. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a okay. So basic. Okay. So we've come to to, to this point. Um, so I I want to kind of just what what exactly Aaron did you did you like about Mother uh, that made you go see it twice? Um. Well, I wanted to see my sister-in-law's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. That was my big, the big pull is that um, I knew Amy would have some thoughts or something else, some facial expressions for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she flinched when, when the baby's neck broke. She freaked out. That's true. She definitely, she definitely reacted. Um, hey, and guys, I'm sorry to, to do this in the thing, but I had to come back and grab my phone charger oh. in my office. So. Oh, okay. No worries. Yeah, I have, uh, to, I have to use the restroom, okay. so we'll pause for a second. I'm not going to hang okay. up, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pause. Okay, okay thank you. Um, All right. All right, I'm back. I actually, um, I had a... Uh, at, oh, okay. So, so yeah. So basically, um, hold on. I'm gonna write write down my idea because I want to loop back to it. But I want to hear closing arguments on mother first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. I'm to think of well, Aaron, you should. Um, did you tell? Uh, you should tell him what you had to sit next to, what you had to endure. Oh yeah. Okay. I think that's why we we dipped into the fight club conversation anyway. So when we got to the theater, we get seats and it's pretty empty. And I uh, kind of back to the fight club dude. He probably wanted to sit with like one empty seat on either side of him, which I fully support. And um, we get to the theater, our group has seats, and there are two people sitting on the opposite side of the aisle from us, but they're like a decent distance away. They have a friend that joins, and instead of sitting in one of the far empty seats, she sits right next to me. She looks normal, but then the trailers come on, and I actually, I didn't mention this to you, Dave, but I actually heard her say uh, that she was a movie talker. <laughs> what? Like, oh, that's a that's a friend, thing. So yeah, she told her friend it's so hard for me not to talk to That's I can't believe yeah. that's a thing. That's saying I'm a I'm a dinner shitter. <laughs> I don't. How do you like that? How is that a real thing? <laughs> it's a. I don't know. We met one though. So um, the trailer start and she is laughing or going. Aww, or hmm, every time anything happens. I mean, it didn't have to be something, it didn't have to be funny or sad or cute. It was somebody would take a drink and she would go, hmm. It was, uh, it was really bad. So we keep, we keep looking at each other and making comments like, do we think this is going to go on the entire movie? Like, surely she will reel it in or her friends will make her reel it in. And then the, um, 
the title of the movie, Mother, comes up on the screen, and at the end there's an exclamation point, and when the uh, the sound effect goes, shh, ding, she just goes, <laughs> and can't stop laughing at it. And then her friends all start laughing, and she, it's just, you know, it's just going and going, and so I lean over and I go, guys, cool it. And then they stop. <laughs> And for the first maybe, the movie's two hours, for maybe the first 25 minutes of the movie, she, I don't know if Dave could hear this, but she kept trying not to make noise. So she would go to laugh, but or to go like, ah, but she would go, because <laughs> <laughs> I think... I think I scared her. So, <laughs> so I don't remember what I laughed at, but I ended up laughing at something. And the, and flood the flood, it was the flood. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and she was just gone for the whole rest of the movie. And then, you know, if you're friends with Dave on Facebook, you can read a very... Uh, a very detailed description of everything that she laughed at. Yeah, um, I, th- or would, I think accurate. I remember seeing that. Yeah, there are people who, who do that, and I, I have the worst luck when I do end up going uh, to see movies with having people who um, like just narrate what's happening on, on the screen. Yeah. Where it's like... Yeah, she did that. She did that too. Where it's like if you... I think yeah. I, rem- I remember when I went to go see... One of my favorite ones is when I went to go see, like, The Matrix 3, which, you know, it's not really, like, a great movie or whatever. But, you know, whenever he goes into God mode or whatever, there's there's a guy behind me who's like, yep, he's kicking ass now. And it's just like... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I don't get it. I've been going to see movies at the Pacific Film Archive pretty often. Uh-huh. And there are a lot of older, like a lot of retirees that go to the movies, because they show um, I saw um, Kurosawa's um, High and Low, and then I went and saw One-Eyed Jacks, and there are always old people there commenting on everything, like, oh, he's handsome. What do you think he's going to do with that? When I saw High and Low, it, I don't know if you've, have you guys seen it? No. No. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's Japanese. And it opens with some guys that are discussing, um, like, the protagonist and, and his uh, work partners own a shoe company. So they're all discussing it, and this older woman, and old woman, not older, she was, like, 85, in front of me goes, oh, is this the original Kinky Boots? And I was thinking it was going to be a detective movie, and so I was like, God damn it, I thought it was going to be a detective movie, not a stupid comedy. I've never seen Kinky Boots, and I don't want to. And I just got so mad, and then I was like, oh, she's just riffing. Yeah. Her whole row, just the entire movie, is riffing, and uh, it really threw me off. I used to have friends who would be like, uh, and I think this happened. Okay, so basically, so I have this, I have this thought that uh, something very, very terrible happened when uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 came out, and uh, people uh, yeah. who would... Uh, you know, just like your your dumb friend in the anime t-shirt would be like, bro, let's put on a movie and we'll MST3K it. And I was always like, no, nah, let's <laughs> let's not. But people go to movies and they're, since, I mean, I don't know if they realize that 
MST3K is like a pre-written show where they like write jokes for it because they'll go right. there and most of the right. jokes most of the jokes are just like when somebody says something they're like yeah right <laughs> yeah and it's like are you are you MST3King right now and he's like yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> I mean, it's definitely it's definitely part of it but there's there's also this weird thing where there's no telling who who is susceptible you know mm-hmm. it's like it's like right. in the movie the abyss when when one of the characters gets the shakes and you're like oh i didn't think that character was susceptible to being underwater it's like you can take somebody to the movies and you might have known them for a long time and you're like oh no mm-hmm. you're you're gonna yeah. do that like i do i knew a do it at the bookstore great guy we went to see a movie it was the first and last movie i ever went to see with this dude I'd known him for a couple of years and thought he was awesome. We sit down in the movie, and he's one of those people who I think they're, he's enjoying it so much, or I don't, I don't get it. But as soon as he started doing it, I just thought, oh, no, he's just going to do that the whole time. And how, and how does he not know how that feels to people around him, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is um, the first time I saw Mother, I went to the Kabuki Theater in San Francisco, and it's like a, a dinner theater, which Dave and I have talked about this a couple of times, and I don't really approve of that setting. Yeah, the, when people um, go to see time. movies in a fucking table, like a wedding reception, I don't get that. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but everybody laughed the entire movie, which it's, I mean, it, it's the equivalent of that girl who was sitting next to me laughing where it's totally inappropriate. They don't know what else to do. I think people like generally have a hard time like sitting still and watching something. Yes, they do. And they, in public. And if they feel the pause, they, they feel like, oh, that's my cue. They feel like right. they're being, that they're responding the way they're supposed to. Um, at, when, they, when they're at a loss of understanding what they're looking at, they fill that. They fill in the spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I don't know what it yeah. is, but it does seem to me that people who are theater talkers also tend to be the people who come in like five minutes after the movie starts. Uh, typically, like, yeah. so it's. I always go through this kind of emotional roller coaster when I do go see movies, um, where I'll find a seat. The movie will be about to start. I'll be like, oh, hey, not too many people in the theater. This is kind of red. Uh, and, then the, and then the trailers will start, and I'll be like, oh. Everybody feels that moment, and it's, it, it's always fleeting, isn't it, that yeah. moment? You're like, this, this might actually be enjoyable. And then, uh, you know, people start to stream in, and you start to hear people, like, crunching nachos and, like, slurping drinks and just generally being fucking disgusting. And uh, and then yeah. and then you're like, okay, well, this isn't that bad because, you know, and then uh, it's like, hold, hold fucking buckle up buddy because here here comes mr five minutes late and mr five minutes late sometimes he's got kids sometimes he's got like an obnoxious girlfriend but he's coming in he's gonna sit in front of you and to the right and he's and he's gonna be like so what the so what even is this about is it just like oh paul paul walker's is oh that's right paul walker's dead right okay so wait so who's in this one again Oh, The Rock. Okay, cool. I like, yeah, The Rock is pretty rad. Yeah, yeah. I'm smelling what he's cooking, and you're just sitting there like, ah. It's like snatched from, because the first five, the first blissful five minutes of the movie, you're like, oh my god, this is, this is actually kind of nice. You know how, I like to keep the magic going 
um, especially since like that's inevitably going to happen that 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 dude's going to roll in. Um, I always try to get everyone to clap at the end of the movie, no matter how bad it is, because I love it when people clap. <laughs> and if there's a theater where uh, they have a good reputation for doing that, like the Pacific Film Archive, all the old people clap at the end of the movie, no matter what movie it is. And uh, I just love it. <laughs> it just sounds like just sounds it's like just, just sounds like paper lanterns blowing in the wind. Just a whole bunch. Of- yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, okay, much. so so we can so we can move on from from uh, from mother, I suppose. Um, I had to. The, the and actually, I can go ahead. Oh well, you asked me to sum it up, and I just wanted to say that uh, no matter what you read or what Dave says or what Darren Aronofsky says, it's about it's about man babies. Cool. I I, so I, I, I can dig it. Put that in your back pocket. Yeah, I was watching. Uh, like TV randomly when uh, last time I was visiting family and uh, Noah was on and I, I was like, and there's this giant rock thing that was talking to um, Russell Crowe and it was like, we were here before the age of man. And I was just like, thought to myself, I was like, <laughs> man, Aronofsky has really gone that way, hasn't he? And then I turned the channel. Um, but I've never even heard of Noah. Oh, it's, yeah, well, it's, you know. Noah's, he did, it sounds it's a bizarre, bad. he did, like, a full-fledged special effects ridden, it's like if Marvel and, it's like a combination of a Marvel movie and Marowski movie about Noah's Ark. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, it's actually fun to look at, maybe, I don't know, it's, but he's, he's certainly trying, I, I don't know if that was trolling, but after Mother, I feel like he's really into doing his like taking bible stories and doing like a modern takes on them we used to do that in undergrad and in workshop and and it was kind of beaten out of us you know you don't bring in the adam and eve story retooled for today because it's kind of embarrassing to do that i also i read something yeah i read something um that also suggested that he became obsessed with Jennifer Lawrence while he was making the movie because she really like leads with her face in her butt the entire movie. And mm. it looks like she was directed that way where she's just like, the camera's always so close to her face. She's always right in the middle of the frame. And if you see her any other way, she's like, you know, leading with, with assets. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, well, that it, makes sense, it cause, seems cause like he, he <laughs> It was him, kind of. Well, he probably did have a rough draft. It was like, this is the story of a man. And then she walked in, and he was like, oh, here, can we just uh, spend some time with the actress? Showing that. Oh, that's so story funny. Story of a man. Yeah. Well, we should, you, you should put some... Uh, we probably need some structure. You want us to move to it? Cause yeah. I think I'm, can, I'm avoiding it because it, it is kind of a... I don't know what to say about it. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's um, yeah. well, we don't now have that it's to, the most. We don't have to feel any popular. obligation to to you know. I mean, if the if if you guys feel super lukewarm about it and it's you're both the same, then I mean, you could just we could just say that it was like meh. Well, well I do have one. Now that it's, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I just am surprised because I was. 
I wasn't surprised. It was more like, okay, I, I see you still have a problem with this. Um, if you've read the book, you know that there is uh, a scene with all of the children that is... Uh, hold on, I'm, I'm going to go outside because I'm at work. I don't want to talk about she, she doesn't want to say She doesn't want to say preteen gangbang. That's the word she's trying yeah. to avoid because mm-hmm. she's in a, in a library right now. Preteen gangbang, yes. yes. I'm glad that you said it for me because that, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, it's like a kitty orgy. Um, they're all 11 years old in the book, and when they go down to the tunnel to defeat it, um, they all sort of get like mentally disconnected like from each other and sort of from reality. And the way that they all reconnect is that they, the, uh, the Beverly, the girl in the story, um, like, says we should have an orgy <laughs> that we'll all connect again. And um, it's something that only someone on a Coke binge could write and, like, still be a mainstream author, I feel like, because it's really, it's pretty bananas. It's, it's pretty, it's out of nowhere. But they don't touch it in, I think they touch it a little bit in the original, where they, like, have all of the kids kiss, but the rest of the stuff that happens to the children in the in the mini-series is not, it's scary, but it's not, it's not violent, like, blatant violence. And in the new one, it's so incredibly violent the things that happen to the kids in their real lives are secondary to this clown. And the clown is not supposed to be like really a tangible thing. It's like a manifestation of their fears. But uh, he's like, the, he's like, a, he's a villain in the new one. And it's like the kids are all fighting a clown instead of this just like kind of evil force. But it's so gross. Like, so many scenes in it are so gross and so violent and and stupid-looking, but also, you know, it's a horror movie. But they don't touch that part at all, and I don't want them to because I don't want to see it a kitty orgy. But there's a story, like a family story, where I was about four years old, and we were at my grandma's house, and we were watching Creep Show 2. In the living room. I know the, I know the story. I know the story. You were there, there man. <laughs> so, uh, Go ahead. I was about I was about four or five years old, and Creepshow 2 is on, on HBO or whatever. And we're watching it with my aunt and my grandma, Dave and I are. And if, if you've ever seen it, there's, it's uh, kind of long vignette, four stories. Mm-hmm. And one of them is about these kids who swim out to a raft. They, like, go to a pretty vacant beach, and there's a raft out in the middle of this lake. They all get naked and swim out to it. And when the kids got, when there were booths, when the kids got naked, my aunt made me go in the other room. Mm-hmm. When they put their clothes back on or they, like, got in the water or whatever, she let me come back in to see this black garbage bag 
come out from between the slats of the rack and eat the kid's skin off. And I remembered that, I mean, I could, I could draw a, a storyboard of that scene because it was so disturbing when I was five years old that I wasn't allowed to see the booth. And yeah. that's what it kind of reminds me of. Like, there's some real adulty shit going on in that book. Um, like, a lot of adult thoughts, like, processing, like, little kids processing trauma, basically, and then mm-hmm. in the movie, it's like, oh, they're scared of a clown. It's really stupid looking. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I like thing. to, I like to picture the, like, the, the edits that he got back, uh, where it's like, hey, hold on, there's a dog, there's a dog barking. Hey, dog. Hey, dog, I, I love you, but stop. Okay. 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 All right. Well, um, God, that's really annoying. Hold on one second, guys. Yeah. Oh, God damn. Oh, I hate her. Hey, guys, I'm back. Um, hey. <laughs> um, the uh, anyway, yeah. I just thought it'd be funny, like if, if like the the having to go to him and be like, so uh, Steve, you know, um, we really like the book. It's it's kind of long. Um, and he's like, yeah. And they're like, so about the about the end. And he's like, yeah. He's like, so are they are they like twelve? He's like, eleven. And they're like, okay. So do you think? He's like, I don't I don't understand what, what you're what you're getting at here. You know, <laughs> just twitching. You know, stuff like that. But yeah, no. I mean, I, I I and it's so weird too because I don't know. It just feels like. Uh, a lot of Stephen King books, I mean, obviously because they're horror books, are super, you know, fucked up. Like, there's, like, a lot of weird stuff going on in them. Yeah. And uh, it's just so weird now that he's kind of, Stephen King has turned into this, like, major foe of Donald Trump. Not that I don't, I don't think Trump actually really cares, but uh, it just seems like Stephen King sits down to Twitter and he's like, I'm going to roast him today. And it's just, <laughs> like, it's just become so strange that he's, like, I mean, I know there's a difference between art and reality, obviously, right? But, like, it's just so funny that he's, like, so, offended, like, just offended, you know, by um, Trump's existence, which I guess we all are. Oh, I, I think, so we, if I'm following you, and, like, he's writing all this fucked up stuff, so why would he be offended by anything, essentially, even? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the that. Great, the, clown, the clown in the White House. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's literally a clown in the White House, so, like, what, what's his? Well, we yeah, be I guess enjoying it for its yeah artistic possibility. Yeah, well, no, I don't really know. I don't really know. I think I think basically I was elaborating on something that's pretty simple, which is that uh, anytime authors decide that uh, they're going to be uh, political experts, it really gets under my skin, and uh, I just kind of mostly hate political posts in general. And then I was trying to say something more than that, but it really it's it's about it. It's just that deep. There's nothing deeper than that, really. I mean. Trump's yeah. awful, so it's it's kind of like yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you hate it, but it's always just like it's me, Stephen King, creep the creeptacular spook man, and I'm here to tell you about about foreign policy. And it's like ah, uh, just you have so much money. Just I would, give money quietly to charity and shut up. I would say I would say normally that I'm I'm totally on board with you, but it's such a unique situation where. We, we literally have a celebrity in the White House, so now it's it's like celebrities going toe to toe as far like as all hands on deck. 
Yeah, like, he's such a fucking anomaly that all bets are off. But, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, like, uh, especially on Facebook, when it, you get this vibe that everyone needs to comment on every single thing that happens, and it's just excruciating to watch people step up to the microphone and say, well, here's my take on the events of today. Yeah. So imagine the, the, yeah. the pressure of uh, celebrities where they're, they actually are, people are waiting for their fucking hot take, and nobody wants to fucking hear it. Like, it, it's excruciating. Yeah, and, and I think I think one of the major things, too, with, with writers and stuff is that it, it, all, it all has to start off, like... You know how, like, Keith Olbermann does that really embarrassing thing where he's like, sir, you are the president, sir, and, you know, like, it, it's it's everybody who's watched, like, uh, a bunch of Aaron Sorkin stuff, and they think that that's what reality is, Then and you combine that with uh, just decades of The Daily Show corrupting our minds, which I loved, I loved The Daily Show when it was on, but... Um, just corrupting our minds into thinking that we can just own people out of office, just like totally get them until they go away. And it's just like, you guys, guys just stop. But anyway, it, yeah. Um, so it is, uh, is it, is it kind of basically what I hear from Aaron is that it's a bag of garbage that eats people. Um, that's, 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 that's your rotten tomatoes yeah. capsule. I also well, didn't know it was two parts. And so I left, uh, I left for about 20 minutes to go play pinball because there was a pinball arcade in the theater and I wanted to get there before everyone else did. Mm. Um, but I was so stressed because they were just fighting the clown for like, you know, a solid 45 minutes. And I thought <laughs> they haven't even introduced the adults yet, not knowing yeah. that it wasn't a two-part movie. <laughs> or it was a two-part well, that's movie. Well, the, that's the thing is, my my gripe with it is that the, the clown is too it's too tangible in the movie. It, yeah. It it's in the book. It's you know it's this great cosmic horror, that, and he's got twelve endings where it, it becomes. You can actually see in real time his you know his coke addled nose bleeding and him like I'm gonna I can one up that. Wait a minute. No, it's it's gonna be this thing. No, I, I can do better than that. So there's all these different endings. For this movie, it's. Like the first half before he starts to throw everything with the kitchen sink at it, and it but it was still like this monster mash of every possible monster he could think of. So starting with like the Universal monsters, you know, the, from Universal Studios, the Wolfman, Dracula, the Mummy, uh, Werewolf, all it it represents all of those things, and um, so just to have it a clown, and they they've really they've Rob Zombied up this clown so that it's. If, oh, if it was ever this terrible. art, well, if, if it was ever an argument that like clowns are so scary, I mean that drives me up a wall because what people are saying are is clowns that have mouths like sharks are so scary. It's like no shit. It's a fucking monster. Like it, they're not really talking about that clown phobia. They're talking about literal monsters, like clowns that look like fucking monsters. So this, so since we're so far past where that fake clown phobia started. The whole movie is just yeah. the clown as a slobbering toothy monster. Yeah, but it's how about it's They're like a, really... how about it's like a Rob Zombie song about it. So it's like, yeah, spooky <laughs> clown, lots of sharp teeth, bats and zombies, lots of spooky stuff. Now the kids are running away, graveyard and ghosts. <laughs> 
That's my Rob. That's what's so funny about the, at least in the book, you could again, you can watch him in real time, dismiss the clown thing. Like, yeah, that was that was made sense in the first chapter, but because it's the idea is that it's luring children to eat them by pretending it's a clown. So somebody would see it and say, "Oh, I want to go play with the clown." But when it, but when it has a fucking shark mouth on it, it's like why would anyone go near it? But it's still doing that um, in the movie, and it's, re- it's ridiculous. So in the book, he's like, yeah, that clown thing doesn't make any sense. So then he makes it. I'm, I'm not even kidding. It's it's got to be at least twelve to fifteen different incarnations of. If you thought that was scary, wait for part two. <laughs> so, so in the movie you have you have them going toe to toe with a monster clown for most of the movie. But who are we to talk? Because it made it's the highest grossing horror film of all time. So people want us that they like that simplicity, you know. Well, I think that people who really liked it probably didn't read the book or probably didn't see the original. Or I don't know. I, or easily. I saw a lot. Of, I saw a lot of super fans that were, that were like, finally the adaptation it deserves. Oh. <laughs> I saw a lot of people. I, I saw a post on the internet where people were getting that loser tattoo with a V over it, or the loser like, where he someone wrote oh, loser no. on his cast. Yeah, people already have yep. tattoos of that. Can we can we talk uh, about this for a, a second? Where it's like what something something is seriously wrong with, with with people, man. Like just like that. Okay, um, that's a it's it's a movie, and I get it. You know, and people get tattoos of movies all the time. They get like you know the Star Wars rebel symbol or something. Like, that's that's fine. But it's just fucking bizarre to me that people are getting uh, billion dollar intellectual property logos tattooed on themselves you know right. it's like I know. this is the intellectual Fuck property it. that i enjoy the most um and it's like people like meet on the street and they it's like robots what intellectual property do you enjoy it's like i enjoy the intellectual property with the laser swords and it's like oh I like the one with the clown <laughs> we well, to, can be friends to bring it back to to bring it back to fanographics, and that was Robert Crumb. Uh, remember his that moment where he he's like, "I got to go out in the world to draw a lot of um, a lot of power lines and and uh, a lot of structures because he that stuff's really pivotal to his background." And in that moment, he's, he's looking around. And he's like, "I haven't been out here in a while, but everybody's wearing brand name on, and they're they're advertising for free. I don't I don't understand oh, what yeah. he's looking at." And there was a parade of people with they were advertising products, but they're doing it on their own. Like nobody paid them to do it, and he, he was understandably baffled by that. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. it's weird. And tattooing's the next is definitely next level. <laughs> tattooing that shit on yourself. Well, it's like that guy. I remember... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was gonna say, remember that guy like HostGator.org. <laughs> I think his name was Hostgator, and the poor guy, he just, he got, he got the logos for porn sites tattooed all over his face, and uh, oh, there was no. like a, there was like a document, because he had like Pornhub on his forehead, and it was a documentary where they were like talking to him, and he seemed like a sweet enough guy, but he was just like, yeah, life's pretty hard when you got Bang Bus tattooed on your cheek, and I'm like, well, oh my God. well yeah, dude, um, but so, so basically, he ended up get, doing a GoFundMe. It has a happy ending. He ended up doing a GoFundMe and getting all those removed. But um, 
he was doing it like this is this is like some Breaking Bad shit because he was doing it because they were paying him like I think one of his daughters had a, an illness and they were paying him like thirty thousand dollars per tattoo. So he was literally like paying for his like daughter's treat, and like when you just see that, you're like, "Yep, America is pretty much the greatest country in the world." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's wow. that's some running that's some running man shit right there. Yeah, yeah, that's some fucked up shit. But yeah, good old host gator. I think he got them all removed, and his face just kind of looks like well, it kind of looks like I guess uh, like Darth Vader sort of when you take the mask off, right? Um, <laughs> but uh oh sorry good. uh but, but so so basically um okay so i think we can pretty much i i realized actually as soon as we started talking about it that i'm just completely uninterested in that movie um and it's just it's just something that i don't know guys I, i'm trying to i'm trying to think of a movie that i that i actually want to watch because i have watched uh twin peaks and i was like i think i'll just watch that again i think i'll just go uh, yeah there's like not a lot after you watch that. Mm-hmm. There's, well, I watched Top of the Lake, which was a, a night, the second season of Top of the Lake, which isn't a movie, but it was a nice Twin Peaks follow up because it's still kind of surreal mm-hmm. and creepy. Um, is it yeah. like is that like Nor- Norwegian or something or? Uh, uh New Zealand. New Zealand. Oh, okay. Close. I was New pretty Zealand. close. Um, you were pretty close. <laughs> um, okay, so Top of the Lake is good. Dave, did you watch Twin Peaks? I did. I watched. Uh, I actually went back and watched the whole run of it before I watched the new one because I had, originally I'd watched the first season and then I watched two or three episodes of the second season and then I just lost track of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Aaron, did, um, you, actually, did you do a did you do a full rewatch, or did you just watch the the third season? Aaron, well, Aaron gave me a list of the ones that I should concentrate on. I think I showed those to Amy. Like season two isn't essential. Aaron, is now he told us? Yeah, I there think are pivotal episodes. I think that it's good to watch season one. You should watch every episode. If you want to skip around season one, you should watch every episode. Uh, written and or directed by by Mark Frost or Lynch and I think there are only maybe top four episodes in the second season that are directed by Lynch and I think you can get by watching those but I don't think you can I don't think you can have a rich experience watching the new one unless you watch Firewalk with me Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say fire, 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 fire walk with me is I think is more important than a lot of the, the series itself. Yeah, same here. So if I remember, because I, I saw Fire Walk with me years ago, so that that's where um, you you have um, I remember the very very uncomfortable dinner dinner sequence. Um, oh yeah, and I remember yeah. uh, it had David Bowie in it. And I remember it had Harry Dean Stanton and uh, was it Chris Isaac at the beginning? Who's, yeah. Who disappears? Yeah, he, he like he's he, like the... he walks into the thing. He he like he get. I'm assuming he accidentally walks into like the, the same portal that Kyle MacLachlan goes. Was not the same one, but the same idea, right? Um, but didn't Lynch say that Firewalk yeah. with Me was like the key, basically? 
Yeah. I, well, I don't. I just. I don't know if you said that, but it, I think that it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, okay. So give me, give me your, uh, give me your thoughts as as to as to why that is. And I think most people who listen to this podcast probably watch Twin Peaks, so I don't think we have to like explain what what it is. You know. Okay. Do you want to go first, Dan? Are you talking about the new show, or are you talking about Fire Walk with me? We're talking about Fire Walk with me and how exactly uh, that's like the key to the to the whole thing. Oh. Well, um, I guess I. Oh, did you want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say. Okay, I was just going to say like the impact that one had on me was that the TV show felt restrained and felt kind of like a goof, and that felt in the movie. Um, it felt like. Uh, Lynch actually showing up to to show us what was on his mind, and it it had some some pretty jarring, realistic abuse storylines yeah. that were pretty hard hitting. Mm-hmm. So that I remember more of that than I do of the show, and um, I also like it felt like he was saying, "Okay, you've been watching the show, and it's sort of this fantasy land, and people are nice, and they love their they love their pie," but then. Fire Walk with Me is like this reverse mirror universe where the you know the town is shitty. Wasn't it? Uh, was it? Tr- uh, what was the name of that town in that one? Like Fat Trout, or, or am I thinking of Wild at Heart? Oh, that's the it, no, that's the trailer. The park. trailer. Yeah, so there's like a shitty trailer park, and there's like a and there's a shitty police chief, you know, and he's a dick, and he doesn't. He's not instantly best friends with the FBI, and the FBI is they sort of. They're sort of the same kind of guy. They're kind of quirky with this 50s feel to them. It's shit's off, you know. It's almost like he flipped over the show and said, you know, here's, here's what's really happening. And that just resonated a lot better. So when it, the new series feels a little bit like that, too. Like he's, um, I don't know, he's, he's invested in it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Where a lot, a lot of the show felt like a goof. Um, so I saw, uh, I saw Fire Walk with me before I saw the show. Um, I saw Fire Walk with me when I was 15 and then I saw the show when I was in my early 20s. Cause I was like, I already know who kills Laura and I love the movie, so I don't really need to watch 20 hours of, you know, or however long it is, like, plus. Um, I think the, the show is really good, and um, and de- I think it's beneficial to see everybody, all of the characters, be kind of lovely and quirky and cute, mm-hmm. um, and go about having normal daily lives because then they all do fucked up things throughout the course of the show and in fire, like the original show and Firewalk with me. And then in in the return, um, I think to your point, Dave, like in Fire Walk with me, you see he isn't restrained and you get to see how dark the story is. I think, you know, when people first started watching the return, um, I was reading a lot of commentary about it and people were like, this is really dark. I don't understand what's going on. It's so slow. And I thought, well, you 
you don't like Lynch, which you probably haven't watched anything else by him because this is what you get. But um, the story yeah. is incredibly dark. Like the the quirky show that was on ABC, the plot of it is, I mean, the, the crux of it is that there was a girl raped by her dad her whole life. And so... Yeah, that's what's so uh, unfortunate about... Yeah. Let me say that's what's so unfortunate about season two is um, is that it forgets all that stuff because it's it's a soap opera. And I've heard people describe it as a like a parody of daytime TV and a parody of a soap opera, and that feels kind of like reverse engineering it. Or something. I just yeah. I just think it feels like that when he's hands off, and when he's hands on, it he's really there to punish everyone in that fucking town. Like if you think of it as the whole town is something bad is going to happen to every single person and the whole town is a problem and it's not just about one person being possessed then it makes a lot more sense that Lynch is there to dismantle that town and that's what people don't want to see they want their characters to be you know their buddies and they want to see them you know have a happy ending and he's there to destroy the town well did you okay I have two points to make did you watch it all the way through the return I did. I did. Okay. Well, I think I kind of disagree with him wanting to punish. Well, I do disagree with him wanting to punish everyone. I think that there are parts, especially in the return, where some of the characters are just full-on celebrated. Like, I think one of the most darling things I've ever seen on TV, like, I wish it was its own movie, is the story of Nadine and Ed and Norma and uh, and that scene where Nadine goes up to Matt, or goes up to Ed and she's like um, I have to shovel my own shit and then tells him he can go to Norma and then there's like this very romantic like oh good we're getting married now and that's it and it's like oh that is that is beautiful, and everybody wants it that the whole time. So thanks for giving it to the audience. But, yeah, um, it, that is definitely one of the rare moments of, of fan service, where he gives people what they want. Yeah. And I think the Harry Dean Stanton storyline is is really good. I'm so glad that he got he got all that screen time. He's the, the best. But he, like, um, he, took his, he took his character from being, you know, this, like, grumpy dude working at the trailer park and um, made him sort of like a mystical force, which I guess um, if you dig really, if you dig into the Peaks mythology, um, something happens to Carl, Harry Dean Stanton's character, and the log lady out in the woods when they were kids. Like, they they witnessed um, all that that stuff like that vortex with the black lodge when they were children and so um they're both kind of they're considered like charmed people in twin peaks yeah he, they were they were cool I, one thing i really like about <laughs> it because it's so so unique is like it's definitely a celebration or or at least a an acknowledgement of aging on television it's a bunch of there's a bunch of really old people on TV who are who you kind of get to see age in front of you. You know, you, you've seen them 25 years ago, and there's no 
there's very little attempt to make them seem like they're the same person, except maybe for Kyle McLaughlin, who's who looks like an alien and he's still got the jet black hair. But there's a celebration of people that are old, and old people move through the world slow, and the show is about aging or something. I don't know. It felt that felt really well, different. Yeah, I I agree. I read something. Um, a friend of mine sent it to me. It was on, I think it was on Reddit, where um, I, I'm not going to do this any justice, and so I'm just going to skim over what it said. Um, but it, the person described, because, you know, like, uh, David Lynch practices transcendental meditation and um, is into Buddhism. Like a big thing that ran through the first series is that um, Dale Cooper is also into stuff like that. Like he's into mysticism. He's into like uh, I want to say like Thai Buddhism and, and things like that. Um, right. So a like lot his rock, of his rock throwing stuff. Yeah. 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 So um, the end at the end of the show, um, which I only I watched the last episode one of the return one time and then like had to had to walk away because it re- it really like trying to hurt my brain. But um, this person suggested that the Dale Cooper that came back is the one that everyone wanted to come back but he's like a reflection of he's he's very human like he's doing stupid human things he's still not getting it right once he does come back but everybody wants dougie to turn into cooper again even though dougie just goes around making everybody happy and that's like very buddhist ideology I mean, that's, yeah. like a, that's not as, as uh, eloquent of an explanation as I would like, but I think that that's really interesting and in that um, people were really I people were talking a lot about, yeah, people were talking a lot about how, like, oh, I hope Cooper comes back. I hope they don't change him. And one of my friends said, like, he might never come back for the rest of the show. And when he finally did, he, like, he fucked up a bunch of times. You know, he went back, he went to this town looking for Laura Palmer again, and she was a totally different person and didn't recognize herself and just, like, recognized an evil force in, you know, in the universe, basically. See, I like I like the slightly different theory, which, uh, which with what happened to, to Laura, I can't remember who, who came up with this, but uh, the idea being that the world that he goes into... Um, is like a trap for Judy, right? Um, and so, bas- mm. so basically, Judy is you know feeds off of pain, right? And that's why uh, she's always pretty close to either uh, Sarah Palmer or Laura Palmer, right? So she's just always okay. kind of there. Um, and so basically, what ends up happening is they go into this world where only Odessa, Texas, and Twin Peaks exist. That's why he can drive from Texas to Oregon overnight. Um, 
<laughs> and so basically they've created this cage because Judy is going to try to follow Laura because Laura is this kind of exquisite source of pain that she can keep feeding off of. So when he gets to her house and there's the guy with his brains blown out and he looks on the uh, mantle, there's there's a horse figurine and the horse is like Judy's symbol. That's yeah. how you know that she's there. Um, so basically once she's in the trap, which is the, the guy who put this theory forward called it the cage, he drives her back to the house, uh, which is like a major source of pain. So at this point, Judy would be like all the way in this cage. And then when Laura finally wakes up and realizes that she's not this other woman anymore and it all comes flooding back to her, her scream closes the cage and basically kills her, Cooper, and Judy. So it's like a suicide bomb to take them all out. And that's when the show ends. Um, so I like that theory. Yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a stretch, but but I mean, it's all valid because... You know, Lynch didn't consider any of that, but it doesn't matter because you know what I oh, mean. You like, don't know that. <laughs> I know that. You I'm know pretty that. sure that. I'm. I don't know. I. I feel like he. He's he's like, willfully obstinate about, meaning, <laughs> to his work, and we and we apply it. You know, I think. I don't know, but going back to the Cooper thing real quick, I was really really hoping that. Because that would have uh, that would have been a great reveal. Is that the the evil Cooper, the fucking uh, Native American looking murderous Cooper? It would have been such a great twist if that was just the guy. Like he, if that was Cooper that's just what. Along. Yeah, because he's got fucked up by dealing with this stuff, and he finally just was like, "Fuck it," and became. You know what I mean? And that that would have been that that would have been a move that, I, that people would have yeah. reeled from. You know. If, if he's trolling the fans like he does in a lot of those episodes when people are sweeping peanuts for half an hour, like, why not go go full troll and just say, that's Cooper all along, you know? He, well, I think they were, all, they were all Cooper all along. I mean, that kind of, like, goes back to the... the yeah, like, but, you, but you know what I mean. Like, 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 like the guy we know... You know what you mean. The yeah, guy we know and love. He did... But I think he did do that because he made the guy we know and love who everybody thought was perfect the first run of the show. He could, like, do no wrong. The first series comes back, and as soon as he's back, he's not as... He's not making people happy the way Dougie is. And then there's, like, this evil Cooper that everyone got to know. You know what I mean? Like, there, that Cooper yeah. that everyone did love will never be back. So he really did troll everyone a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Lynch loves his... He loves his doppelgangers. And there's... There's a lot of, there's a lot of Cooper... A lot of Cooper going on in there. Um, I love that all of... I love that the return nod to all of his previous work. Like, some of the shots in it look like his student films. Like, everybody, not everybody, but, like, so many people that were in other movies show up. And, um, I've, I mean, with everything yeah, going on in the world, this, this sounds like, this is going to be kind of a bold statement, but I feel really blessed that 
I was living during a time where I got an 18-hour fire walk with me. I just feel like I was gifted an 18-hour fire walk with me. But at at what price? We're in in the... We're at that alternate we're that alternate timeline where we got Trump in office, oh, so but we got the Lynch. Yeah, Lynch gets to do whatever he wants, but what at what price, right? Yeah, uh, I've seen the, the cool one thing it. that I prayed for when I was fifteen, and the rest of the world is Yeah, I uh, I think that yeah, I'm kind of there too. You know, uh, all the talk of like uh, I think when Dave mentioned that you know Lynch kind of in in. When you say that he shies away from interpretation, I think that that's maybe not correct, but I think that uh, it would all make sense if you uh, went into whatever world he goes into when, you know, yeah, he's in his transcendental... Because, you know, I mean, a, a lot of the reason... Um, I've always liked really weird, kind of absurd stuff, but once I started pretty uh, heavily getting into, like, acid, mushrooms, DMT, stuff like that... Uh, and and then actually starting to meditate, not while on those chemicals, but you know, all that shit. I don't know how to explain it, but it just kind of makes sense as it is. You're like, oh, huh. yeah. I think no, I think you're touching on something that might that might be exactly how I feel about him now, and I, and it just occurred to me is that it resists interpretation as a whole, but within scene to scene, every scene has some sort of logic, and every scene has a very clear purpose and I've never been at a loss of what of what he's doing moment yeah. to moment but if you look at it right, from a distance have, yeah. it, then then you're doomed you can't make sense of the whole thing but moment to I moment yeah each each scene can, has like, its own logic and narrative you can you can really dip into it and it's like such a rich world and you you end up feeling like you're in I mean, it's it's such a great work of art because you you feel like you're going into someone else's mind, um, and you and that would help people that you. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just I was just going to say that um, you can't apply sort of real world interpretation to it. You you have to think about it like this is this is someone else's brain, and I'm just like getting a look into it and and that's about the best you can do with it but it's like such a, a rich world to go into i wish everybody i don't wish everybody could do that but, but i, I think you have people ha- would have a much i think people have a much easier go of it if they just stick scene to scene um like the scenes with the gangsters in the new season a lot of people are frustrated with what happens like tom sizemore and and that crew and what's going on over there it's like it doesn't matter because Within the scene, yeah. they're very much it's very very lost highway gangsters thing going on, and within the scenes, they, all those scenes have little arcs to them, um, and I, it just yeah. they stand yeah. as little little moments. Not as, but as far as the whole, you're never gonna piece it together because I don't think he pieced it together. He was just and like, I think oh, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a lot like the real world where you're you know you're. Uh, interacting with the people that you're interacting with like and there's other stuff going on around you all of those scenes like in the roadhouse where people are just sitting there talking one-on-one it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the story they're just there i mean that's all that's a that's the world 
it doesn't. And he's been doing those, those to you. Yeah, but he's been doing those moments for since the beginning. He's got a lot of those moments in right. Blue Velvet and like Wild at Heart when they come across the car accident with Cheryl and Sven. It's a self-contained moment, but a lot of people at the time were trying to apply a lot of meaning to it. They're like that represents you know them and you know the the obstacles they're going to face. It's like no, that's within that moment that that is the that is that moment. And I think also too uh, with. Um with, with those scenes in particular, those kind of weird, random scenes, I think, well, I guess it's it, there's two points. Uh, the first point is, like, I know a lot of writers who um, who will say, like, oh, you know, I, I, I wrote this novel because I really wanted to write this one scene. And I think Lynch just writes that one scene and is like, well, why, why would I do anything? Like, that's what I wanted to do. So, I mean, yeah. I'm done. And, yeah. and then I think the second thing, I think when you get into, like, the context of the show and the idea of tulpas, uh, which is a, I believe that's a yeah. Tibetan Buddhist thing. I think that, I think that Lynch literally believes um, in tulpas. Um, and I think that <laughs> characters like because a tulpa is, is is a is a being that's created by hyper concentrated thought, and I think that um, when Lynch goes fishing and he meets these characters, I think that he's like in his mind, and who knows, maybe in reality, he's like giving them life in the real world, um, and wow. that's just what the characters might want to say. It's like, hey, I'm here. I just want to, you know, just I have this one thing to say. And then, you know, maybe right. he floats in there and everybody's talking about Billy. Who's Billy? Like, you know, well, we never know. Like, maybe he never met Billy when he was going fishing. And so in the story, Billy's just always on the periphery. Right. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I think that I think that he's I like ba- that. he's basically uh, I think he's basically like a pretty much an enlightened being. <laughs> I pretty much think so. Yeah, I, I think that in some I've I've seen people talking about how the the return um, represents just like the culmination of his entire work. It's not yeah. it's not Twin Peaks based any more than it's you know, Blue Velvet based. It's it's just everything. He's just talking about all the things that interest him. Sometimes he's got to pin it on these old characters, and sometimes that's kind of awkward because you're you're like, what? These characters aren't acting like themselves. They're not acting like because he doesn't. He's just kind of forced to. He, at some point, somebody wrote him a check, and he said, oh, "Yeah, I'll call it Twin Peaks if I have to." <laughs> but you know, it's just it's just this giant it's this giant thing that he's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna pin these names on it because you know he's all about the doppelgangers and and. Names are meaningless when you're in his universe. That's why they're not not a whole lot of our Twin Peaks characters. And when they are, they feel they feel like fanser. They feel like he's, no, he's pandered a bit. I have to disagree a little bit because I think that I mean, so there's been a lot of supplements to the show. Like there's Laura Palmer's diary. There's that um, oh, I can't remember the name of the book, but Mark Frost put it out just within the past year or two. Oh, A Secret History of Twin Peaks. And although there are very few parts in either of those, in Secret History of Twin Peaks, I think there's a bit more that contradicts itself like when it comes to the show. The Diary of Laura Palmer is one of the creepiest things I've ever read. And it is 
it is so spot on to the show where I think that like I think that everything in it is intentional but still open to interpretation and I don't think he cares what your interpretation is. You, like I do you agree steal, that he's gonna do whatever I'm checking my no. Did you steal it from me again? No, but I did steal Odd Writing by Stephen King. The things were... So it's comfortable. Oh, I knew something was... I knew something was... Oh, son of a bitch. There's a hole in the shelf. I'm like the, I'm like the princess in the pee. I'm the, I'm the fucking princess in the pee. I know when something's missing. I know. Well, I guess it's the app. I, well, I found a smear of jam on my books and knew someone was in there. Um... um but yeah, I, I don't think that, uh, I think that's one of the very best things about him is that he's just like making art and doesn't, he doesn't give a shit about what the audience thinks about it. Um, but I think it's intentional. I think he's like sort of sentimental. I think mm -hmm. he's probably compassionate towards his audience, but I don't think he's going to like, I don't think anything in the show was like him catering to anybody well, it was uh and i love that he put himself in it so much i love that yeah. gordon and albert are major characters yeah this yeah time. and i yeah and i think that i think that uh you know going to like the buddhist concept of idiot compassion right so i think he he doesn't have yeah. idiot compassion for his audience but he does have compassion which means you know that sometimes you know you, you have to it might not be exactly what you want but it's what you have to it's what you have to have at that moment. And I think, um, I guess for me, um, the, I don't do this with very many things, whether it's movies, books or whatever, but that, that show hit me, uh, in just so many, um, personal ways yeah. that it felt like it was talking to me at times, you know, because, um, like for example, like my grandma died and then, you know, I was going through like this really rough point where, you know, I was trying to, you know, sort of reach out and see if I could, you know, contact, not like with an Ouija board or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, the next episode of Twin Peaks was the log lady dying, right? And so like that just, and she looked so similar, you know? And so I just felt like that was kind of talking. And then, you know, they go from the Pacific Northwest down to, to Texas. And literally when that episode happens, I drove, you know, from the Pacific Northwest down to, you know, Texas. And I actually like passed through Odessa a few days later. Um, and so obviously that's neither here nor there, but when it was going on, like every episode had like some little spooky thing that was like echoing parts of my life. So I basically am deaf to all criticisms of the show. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like well, well plus that speaks that it speaks to it it speaks to its success as just a piece of art because you're you can apply meaning to it and it's meaningful to different people in different ways. Like that's that's a testament to how effective it is that you could that you can map your own experiences onto it. Yeah, totally. You know? I actually when I when I saw it um you know, like as a kid this is going to sound bad and nothing like what happened to Laura Palmer happened to me, but, uh, I wasn't like feeling so hot when I saw it for the first time. And I must've watched it every other weekend. Um, like I had friends who would watch it with me or I just like put it on and watch it by myself. Um, but it's sort of, uh, 
I don't know. It's sort I don't I don't know what I was getting from it, but it sort of carried me and then when I moved to Seattle, it was while they were filming the show. Mm-hmm. Um in in North Bend. Um, so I actually I made up a resume that had like my my community theater credits on it and like when nice. I entered in movies and <laughs> yeah. I put like a little I went and took a picture in a photo booth and used that as my headshot and I left it on a box of donuts outside the double R while they were like doing pre production. Oh nice. Um, cause I wanted to, and I wrote him I wrote him a letter that was like that just talked about um how I, I don't really understand why it was such an important story to me when I was a teenager, but it it was. Um, it hit me really, really in in just the right spot. Um, so I didn't I didn't make it onto the show. I wasn't cast, mm-hmm. but um, I did go up there a couple times while they were filming, and I just and I watched it. And um, my whole time in Seattle was was rough and um it was sort of a beacon of light like when i was moving um i like when i moved to seattle i gave myself a grace day and i stayed in north bend and took myself on a twin peaks tour and then when i left uh the new series was on and i just um it was just like such a a homey thing to come to even though it's like psychically taxing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah for sure but but uh yeah it, it really took me outside of like whatever tangible things I had going on with me and I just couldn't stop thinking about it um it, I mean I feel like sort of can't stop thinking about it like I want to go back and watch the entire thing again um but it well, was it definitely it's to, so much. it definitely has a lot of it's got a lot of watchability it's, it's not you know <laughs> it's there's, so, there's a lot to unpack there um yeah I think I, he, was, I don't know if it's a, go ahead oh I was just gonna say I was actually when it first started I was thinking of doing a beat podcast uh where I like would find things in the new one and then take it back to Fire Walk With Me or the original and kind of match the things up and just I watched the first episode six times because I kept forgetting things. Like there was so much to unpack and so much that I wouldn't notice that actually had occurred in the earlier episodes and in the movie that I was just like I can't one man cannot do this alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's totally true. And uh, also, I guess, one of the things that really worked well for, for me on the show was the fact that it was really super inspiring. You know, no matter what you think of because, I mean, I'm kind of a super fan. Like, I'm the guy who likes Inland, <laughs> in, like Inland Empire, you know? Um, and, yeah. And so, but, like, when, when you watch that and you just realize that, oh, because I was, I was feeling stuck with books and stuff, and I was like, oh, wait, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Never mind. And, it, you know, and yeah. I might not ever be, might not ever get to the point that, that Lynch is at, right? But I don't even think, 
I don't think Lynch necessarily. I mean, he likes to meditate. You know, if he's got his little meditation cushion and he can, you know, grow his coffee and, you know, smoke his cigarettes, like, I feel like he'd be pretty okay. But so he does this sort of like, to my mind, deeply effective stuff, almost pretentious is the completely wrong word for what he does. I think some people might uh, erroneously use the word pretentious because they just equate pretense, pretense with like being confused. Um, but I don't think he does anything pretentiously. I think he just yeah. I don't think it. I, I. I totally agree that I mean that's what that's what his stuff. That's how it speaks to me. Is like this freedom you're talking about. The mm-hmm. way he he has this. He t- he gives us inspiration because it's like, oh my god, we can do whatever the fuck we want to do. Mm-hmm. But also, like yeah. more specific, more specifically about what like what I try to do is like like film, and for the most part, books. A lot of books they 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 fail when they want to represent like in the interior, you mm-hmm. know, interiority of somebody. So. Lynch found this fucking loophole where if you just have, if you have these long moments, if you have static moments, if you have long conversations, and I try to do something similar like with dialogue where I unload a shit ton of dialogue, mm-hmm. and that's, that's like me trying to do what he does effortlessly, which is he can manifest an interior experience by well, having these things that are being, that are misinterpreted, I was going to say misinterpreted as, as pretentious, like you're saying. Because he has these moments of sweeping up the peanuts, or he'll sit on a he'll sit on a character's face to where, like Amy was sitting in here, and she said, "Is this paused?" And it wasn't paused. It was just it was on that it was on that fucking uh, Indian's face, mm-hmm. Hawk, mm-hmm. for for such a long time that because that that and that has a way of it like makes its own interior experience. Like if you. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but if you overdo it, if you if you lay on long conversations that seem almost like indulgent or pointless, or if you have a scene that stretches past the point of of when you think it's going to break, like when they went out to have that smoke break, remember how long that went? Mm-hmm. And then they stopped, and then they kept talking. It was amazing. Like well, no, that, and the thing is, the thing is too is that I think what separates like pretense from uh, you know is that in all those shots something interesting is happening right so it's it's like you could make a scene go on for a really long time but like the peanut sweeping scene i know i've said this on the podcast before but i love that shit i just liked watching the peanuts get swept up so people are like why did they do that it's like probably he just had the camera going and he was like i think he's found he's found a portal he's he's found a portal to showing interior experiences on film which up until that point, well, we probably seem impossible. I don't think he differentiates his art too, which I think. I think uh, he pulls into his filmmaking. Like he he paints, he writes, he makes music, he makes the films, he writes the stories for his films. Um, he makes he the the, the chick the chicken and you ever seen the chicken and fish kit that he made? No, you guys ever I've see seen that? <laughs> it's it's in his uh, it's in his one of his coffee table books, one of his art books. He just literally took apart a chicken and took apart a fish and then labeled the parts and oh. said, "Hey kids, here's a chicken kit." 
put it together in the right order or your chicken's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. It, it is student film. I think in a student film, he takes the part of chicken. Uh, well, he, he spent a lot of he, he spent a lot of time on that chicken trying to figure out what made it tick. <laughs> I believe it. Wait, you know what I mean? Like you saying that he he keeps the camera running. I think he keeps the camera running every moment of his life. You know, he's like he's always creating something. Um, he's not yeah. saying like my filmmaking is more important than the thing I'm going to write or the thing I'm going to paint or the song I'm going to write for the movie. It's all part of it. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's so great. I just read a book by, um, I read the autobiography of, uh, the artist, Yuyoi, uh, who did the infinity life, the real, real hip. (laughs) Like, I mean, they are, and they aren't. Like, she's an incredible artist and painter, and she made the Infinity Lights, and she made the, or Infinity, Infinity Rooms, where she had, like, rooms with, you know, hundreds of painted pumpkins or whatever. But throughout her whole book, she's just talking about uh, making art as if it's, like, making a sandwich. You know, it's just like the thing that you do. Like when you're hungry, you make something to eat. Like when you gotta make something, you make like whatever's can't. You know, whatever you got handy, whatever's like coming out of your brain, you do it. Um, it's lucky that Lynch is such a a cool guy. <laughs> that mm-hmm. like, he has such a a huge output, and then he also happens to be just like an amazing dude you mm-hmm. know and that's why uh i whenever like there was a criticism against the show about it being like uh misogynistic or whatever i saw that at one point and first of all i was just like shut up shut your fucking <laughs> mouth but um i think that like i don't think that it's necessarily misogynistic i just think that lynch is probably not a feminist right like so that's i think that and i think those are two different things you know what i mean he definitely doesn't hate yeah. he doesn't hate women and he's also he's just kind of an older dude so I remember one of the criticisms being like oh well the first time you see a black person in the show it's a prostitute and I'm like shut up you know I just like basically again I, I can't really hear the criticism yeah. but I, I do think that there's this kind of um, I don't know I know this sounds like a really like white dude of, of apolog- apologetic type stuff but it's like he's just kind of an old guy you know and I just don't really well, I don't think... think you have to be... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was done. I was rambling. <laughs> well, I don't think you have to be one thing or the other. I don't think you have to be, like... He, that he has to be a misogynist or a feminist. Like, I think he can be an old dude that doesn't quite get it. I heard a lot of people celebrating the David Duchovny... Like, the... Uh, uh, what's her name? I don't David remember. David Duchovny's character. I don't remember. Denise. Mm-hmm. Denise. People were really, I mean, people were celebrating the Denise scene. Um, and I was like, this is awkward as hell. Like, he doesn't really know. Like, people are going to get pissed. Like, there are going to be some people who are like, we're celebrating that there's a trans person on the show. And, like, he's telling her that she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who are going to be like, this sounds wicked like an old dude talking. <laughs> to someone who's transgendered mm-hmm. and uh, I just kind of accepted Yellow. it 
as the scene for what it was, which was like an old dude who wrote a thing. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, wrote yeah. a thing about the modern times. And Wait, did you guys did you guys lose me? No, we, we, did you we, guys we've lose actually we've actually been talking. On? We've just been talking you without you. And you didn't notice? <laughs> no. You didn't notice for a half hour that I was gone? It's like a home alone situation. <laughs> you were gone for maybe two minutes. It felt like forever. I'm, I was pacing. I was pacing back and forth. I went outside and got on the speed bag. I was so sad. All right. Oh, yeah, you guys want to well, you, you <laughs> hear my speed bag? You want to yeah. hear my speed bag levels at this point? Ready? Yeah. Ready? Here we, here we go. It's going to take a minute to get going fast. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, no, we were actually, we were just uh, talking about how, um, I don't know, like certain criticisms against uh, Twin Peaks for things like racism and misogyny. And we're essentially both just kind of going like, eh, that's, that's, that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of what we, that's kind yeah, of what I mean, we just you did. Can... You That's can, pretty interesting. I but... mean, when it when it happens in anything, I mean, I I get I get I can get pissed about it. I do get pissed about it. But when it happens in some things, it's like you can also be understanding of like the source. I guess. I mean, like David Lynch is an older man, and I am not saying that. Uh, I, I think that it's okay to be like, that was awkward, moving on. He mm. could have done better, like his, moving on. Like his entire, and, and you, he writes in a, he wrote in a subplot where he gets to like squeeze the ass on a model <laughs> the, whole, the whole show. Mm -hmm. That's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I did really, um, <laughs> I love the part where he and Albert are in his office and uh, he gets a phone call, I think. And Albert goes, you're getting soft in your old age. And, uh, and Gordon goes, not where it counts, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. That was in, like the that. second to last. Yeah. Was, yeah. And he also just like, yeah. I, I, I remember I've, I saw this clip of him, I think when he was filming Inland Empire or something like that. And it was him getting kind of mad at a crew member for fucking something up. And so he's standing up there and he's like, from the fucking top, from the top, Jesus Christ. Oh my God. And he's like, and he's like, he's talking to Laura Dern. He's like, you all right down there, sweetheart? You all right there, little tidbit? And she's like, yeah, I'm good. Oh. He's like, and he's, and he's like, uh, and he's like, Jesus Christ. He's like, yes, this must be, he's, I, I can't, he's like fucking morons all around me. He's like. This must be how Picasso felt, or something like that. And uh, oh my God. I thought it was—I thought it was funny because it was just like a kind of a glimpse into him. Like even when he was like mad, he was just kind of smoking his cigarette, and his voice didn't really—he didn't really sound that mad, even though he was saying mad words. You know what I mean? Like it was just that—that that same yeah. weird kind of. Well, he didn't—he didn't talk a to great people. Sadness. He didn't. He didn't talk to people until he was in his mid twenties. Like he didn't talk, um, which is why his is that dialogue. True? It is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, that's that's what his wife said. Is that his? He didn't start talking until they met, which is why his dialogue is always like so strange because it does kind of sound like wonderful. 
he's figuring out how to talk. And I remember I watched him give this commencement speech at the Maharishi School for fucking flying yogis or whatever the hell it is. And uh, the, he's like, I'm going to do things a little bit unorthodox. We're going to have a Q&A session, right? And so people would come up and they'd say, like, How, what do you think uh, I should do for, like, my career? And he'd be like, well, Maharishi, who was the greatest yogi who ever lived, uh, says that if you want to live a full life, you uh, must meditate three times a day. And then there would be silence. And he'd be like, thank you. And then the guy would sit back down. Oh my god! <laughs> they were they had all these questions, and it was like watching him try to talk. It's like, well, um, it's you know that's a great. And then he, and for one, this this girl walks up and asks a question, and he's like, you have, you 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 have just the most beautiful face. And she's like, oh thanks. And then this other guy walks up and he asks a question, and Lynch is just like, you you are beaming. You are just happiness incarnate. And I'm like, he's just a fundamentally strange man who who doesn't. I think that basically it's it's like the uh, this this whole myth, right, of people who who are touched, right, who like get dropped on their heads or like thrown off the tractor early, but they can they're they're kind of like the the see the like the guy in the Green Mile who can like you know touch your balls and then spit out a bunch of gnats and you're cured. I think that 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 comes from somewhere though, and the, and the idea is that the the further and further away you get from polite society, I do think the closer you get to those fish because he's talked about how he can close his eyes and he's like and you're just there every time, buddy. I meditate like every day and. I don't just like pop into this like nether world where I'm like catching ideas, you know. Um, and it's like no. to him, it's just simple. So I do think that there's just a slight, um, there's just something about him, right? He's just a different kind of guy. He's one of the few people I think who, yeah. if I ever met him, I don't really know what I I would probably like fangirl out and just be like, "Do you? Oh yeah. Do you remember when you made Mulholland Drive and?" The thing came out from behind the garbage can. That, oh man, that scared me. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's my real. And uh, do we have any final thoughts? Because on that note, actually, I'm sorry to do this, but uh, I gotta I gotta hit the gym, bros. Oh yeah, yeah. You, I gotta you get... read catching the big fish, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Did you? Have you listened to the audiobook? He reads it. Uh, no, but I'm going to go buy that, and I know what I'm going to listen to on my drive to Austin tomorrow. Awesome. Um, I have one more thing that I wanted to mention. Um, my bet. I did you move to Albuquerque, or were you just visiting Albuquerque? I was just visiting. Oh, okay. My best friend lives uh, right by Meow Wolf. Oh, and so yeah. I've heard so much about it. It looks amazing. Oh, yeah. Meow Wolf, uh, it really, really uh, tripped me out. It's one of the coolest places I've, I think I've ever been. Like, just straight up. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I really want to actually, like, eat a couple of grams of mushrooms and go back, you know? Um, just because I, I really feel like that would be the place to do it. Um, and hopefully, like, not freak out. I heard it was funny. We were talking to a friend after we went, 
and she was like, the last time that she went, there were bros in there that were all tripping balls. And uh, you go into oh. this one room that's like this old-timey black-and-white cartoon-looking thing, and there's a guy sitting at the table across from another dude who's just got freaked-out eyes, and he's like, bro, it's gonna be okay. It's just me out there, bro. No. <laughs> it's just so... Dave, have you ever heard of this thing? No, I, saw, I was looking through your pictures. Um, it looked cool. I just thought... It reminded me a bit of the mattress factory in Pittsburgh, but I've never been, I've never heard of it until you guys were talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's pretty cool. There's like a story to it when you go in. There's like a, some kind of, there's a video you watch, and then there's a house that you go to, and you can go through the mail and like kind of piece together this story. But basically like the house is, has opened up portals to different dimensions. So you like open up the fridge Whoa. and you can walk through it into this different room. That's full. So they basically got like 150 artists to just go buck wild on this place. And they have shows there in this place that just, it's like all this weird, it's this weird neon town that they built. Anyway, it's, it's really hard to describe, but 100% uh, worth going. Awesome. I'll definitely check that out. So yeah, so thank you guys very, very much uh, for coming on. This was fun. We should do it again. Holy cow! Thank we, you. We got two hours in, and uh, so you can guys. Can you believe it? Yeah, can, yeah. Well, it's, it was when the literally an hour of it was Twin Peaks. Um, but sweet. <laughs> but basically, so um, if you guys want to go out and watch some more movies, I'm not going to, uh, and we can we can do this all over again. <laughs> That would be we'll amazing. Thanks so much. Cool, cool. All right, talk to you guys later. All right, All right talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.